Irish Illustrated Insider is sponsored by VisitSouthBend.com. Is it time to check a Notre Dame home game off your bucket list? Has it been too long since you've soaked in the game day atmosphere in person? Whether it's for the first time ever or in a while, start planning your trip to South Bend to watch the Fighting Irish with ideas and inspiration at VisitSouthBend.com. Happy Halloween, everybody. It's Monday, October 31st. This is Irish Illustrated Insider. I'm Tim Priester. From Irish Illustrated with Tim O'Malley from the same place, along with Pete Sampson from The Athletic. Notre Dame coming off a 41-24 victory over Syracuse, um, where they were in a tough environment this weekend. They were the dominant team the whole way. They kind of kept Syracuse in the ballgame, but eventually pulled away with a 41-24 victory. Gentlemen, uh, your reaction to Notre Dame's fifth victory of the season as Marcus Freeman Creeps above 500 career-wise for the first time. Yeah, because we uh, qualify everything with what are the chances going forward, and Clemson is on the horizon, I think that probably colors a little bit of everything we did Saturday and everything we've thought about, because as soon as that game was over, I thought, and mentioned to a couple of the writers, really glad they won this game, because this week would not have been anywhere near as fun with Clemson coming into town if Notre Dame was reeling from a loss to Syracuse after two weeks ago a loss to Stanford. They played very well um, the offensive line. Played great. It was good to see um, the clear motivation of getting Audric Estime involved from the start. Pete asked that post game. I mean, they got him the ball as a fullback to start the game for crying out loud, just so we could go hammer somebody and uh, to see him kind of get past his his fumbling because or for a week because he we talked about it. How how much do you give Audric Estime the ball until he fumbles again? You absolutely need him, or you won't beat two good teams left on your schedule. It, it's like not only do you need him, you need him that when he gets the ball against Clemson, he's not thinking about fumbling. He's thinking about, I just had 20 carries for 125 yards. Um, so I thought their man management of estimate was excellent. Um, it's as complimentary a game as I've seen Notre Dame play. And this will sound weird, but like almost since Ohio state where like you could see the way the defense and offense were working together, except this was the defense, half the offense and special teams working together. And they, they played off one another. I mean, the fact that Notre Dame had had 10 points off turnovers all year and then had 14 just against Syracuse, which doesn't include the punt block by Clarence Lewis that turned it into a two-yard touchdown, nor does it include the uh, turnover on downs just before halftime that turned into a quick um, two-minute score just before uh, the break. Like Or Pete, the punt uh, influence too. Yeah, like the, the pieces feel like they fit together as well as they probably have fit together in any game that I've seen uh, Notre Dame play this season. I think that's that's really encouraging uh, moving forward, not just for Clemson, but for the last four games. Notre Dame with 246 yards rushing, three touchdowns. That's the good. The questionable, of course, is still the passing game with Drew Pine as he put forth a um, less than 50% completion percentage. That's now three games in a row in which – he has not been very sharp. He does not. He will not be going into the Clemson game with a whole lot of uh, confidence, at least based upon what has happened on the field on game day. The defense, um, you know, three red zone penetrations by Syracuse, three touchdowns. The same thing continues to happen uh, on the defensive side of the football. But a 17-point win at Syracuse is impressive. I you know, I, I rarely point to, um, 
you know, the quarterback and injuries, but it was a significant part of the game. Syracuse, although their, their young quarterback came in and did a nice job, but what is quickly forgotten is the first pass that he threw should have been intercepted by Cam Hart. And we would, we would view Carlos Del Rio Wilson's performance a whole lot differently had that happened, along with a tip pass that, that was also picked off, tipped by Howard Cross and intercepted by Maris Leofile. But the defense, um, you know, you get the pick six to start the game and you allow Syracuse to drive down and score. You go up 24 to seven. You allow Syracuse to score uh, on a 54-yard field goal and then another touchdown drive. You go up 38 to 17 and you give up an eight-play 75-yard touchdown drive. And that isn't, I mean, that's not nitpicking because this stuff happens every week. I mean, they do. It's worth noting how poorly the red zone defense has played. They're 14th in the country in red zone attempts. Meaning, oh, yeah, they don't let people in. Teams yep. do not get into the red zone against them. Uh, when they do, they always find success. But um, the the defense is, like, I mean, we've talked about this all year. It's like, how good are they? I think they're pretty good. But then, like, I'm not really sure. It kind of, I just go back and forth on it. But now, if they're going to create turnovers like that, yeah, you can. That more than makes up for giving up a couple red zone touchdowns. Um you know, because then you're not only not just the pick six, like you're influencing the game. You're not just sort of there trying to hold things down yeah. like that. That was the thing about the the Howard Cross Leofile pick that was important to note for me is like that wasn't just a play that fell to you sort of, you know, kind of similar to, you know, Brandon Joseph's. You could say he threw it right to him. He did. But like Notre Dame went out and made a play uh, on defense. And that's that's something that they are going to have to keep doing moving forward. Yeah. You know. I was going to say, if Notre Dame has the same effort against Clemson, everybody would take it, but that's obvious. So let me try to break it down this way. So there were Notre Dame furniture. The defense had seven, three or four and outs, which means the Syracuse didn't get a first down on those possessions out of, out of 15 possessions. They had another one that they got one first down and forced to punt three snaps later. They had another one where they had a first down, but Leah got his pick that Tim mentioned. And I haven't counted the touchdown score by Notre Dame's defense yet. So that would be 10, of 15 real possessions, 11 of 15 real possessions that greatly favor Notre Dame. Then there was three touchdown drives and the field goal drive. Uh, that was, that was a, that was a win by Notre Dame. Wouldn't you say 26 yard drive? The guy hits a 54 yard bomb. Yes. I mean, so now we could, if we're grading on a curve, it was a backup quarterback uh, who was playing better than the starting quarterback in this particular case. And yeah, Tim, that his first pick, his first pass could have been picked off for a touchdown for sure. But Cam Harder just picked off to set up a touchdown. Uh, on his touchdown drive, though, his first one, he threw the best pass I have seen this football. I know season. it's one. Yes, it was yeah. beautiful. Oh, the my ball, God. the ball coming out of his hand, you know, seeing him with the stature in the pocket and the size yeah. that he has was very, very impressive. So I do think that obviously if, if Notre Dame can repeat this, give up three long touchdown drives against the three mid to long touchdown drives against Clemson hold them to a field goal on a penetration, score a touchdown, and get them off the field nine times without any penetration. Every Notre Dame fan can take that against Clemson as well. Yeah. Clemson, uh, 19th in the country and scoring at 37 points per game. Yeah, they don't run it well. I mean, Will Shipley's a really good running back. Yeah. But statistically, as as a running team, they're not very good. And that, you know, I mean, their offensive line has just been average in recent years. And I think it's a similar situation. Um, 
Uyangalale has been sacked 12 times, which is a pretty modest number at this stage of the season with eight in eight games. First game he will play this year since maybe the opener or game two, where he does not come in with 100% confidence. That's in true. He's doing. They did have the week. They are coming off a bye week, uh, and they are they're eight no, and they're ranked number five in the country. Uh, I don't, you know, I look at this Clemson team, and it's it's not the it's not the team of 2018. No, um, no, well, no, no, not that, even not. I mean, not yeah. close, really. Um, it's not. I mean, the quarterback play is different, and the the right. The, now, is the, it the team of 2020 that Notre Dame faced and beat? Is it as good as that one? Because that's the measuring stick. We know it's not Trevor Lawrence's rematch game. I think it's. I think it's yeah. probably. probably better because of the defensive line, right? I mean, because uh, yeah, actually, there was they were missing the players from that game. They're missing yeah, Tyler, Davis, that, Tyler Davis. Yeah, yeah. The first game yeah. and Skalski. In two, yeah, in 2020, they hadn't built that that D line back up to. 2018 level right right quite yeah but it's you know it's really good um they don't they still don't get a ton of sacks Nordame Nordame averages more sacks per game than than Clemson now that can be deceiving I get that but you know two of their games were against Furman and Louisiana yeah. Tech I mean just I'm I'm just throwing out positives and negatives as I see them as we sit here right now They're seventh in tackles for loss right at least going into the weekend yeah. they were I mean that's yeah it's going to be very obviously seventh, yeah they're, it's going to be very difficult for Nordame to run the football, and they're going to have to find a way to. I mean, you talk about complementary football in this instance, Pete. It's going to have to be. They're going to have to do that offensively too with the with the passing game because you're not going to establish the whole a consistent offense. running running game against against Clemson. I if anyone can, if anyone can, it, Notre Dame would be one of those one of those teams. But you're going to have to be able to strike some kind of balance through the through the air. I have heard Pete's comments on this. So I want yours, Tim. Speaking of not playing complimentary football, imagine being Dino Babers on fourth and seven when your offense can't generate a yard. Your quarterback can't throw, run, think, or fend for himself against a pass rush, and you go for it instead of punting and making Notre Dame drive 80 or 90 yards. No, I, and no, I thought that, yeah, I thought the exact same thing. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I, I'm going to change subject here for, uh, on you again here, Tim, but. Rewatching the game, I, I'm I'm astonished. Did ABC not know that Schrader was hurt going into the game? I guess not. I I, I mean, did, you mean when Greg McElroy watched film all week of Schrader averaging 14 carries a game, he didn't think, man, he only he only had one design run in the first half. Wouldn't your production meeting what? just have everybody else knew? We knew about it. The Notre Dame team knew about it. I told a Notre Dame parent about it on the plane. He's like, oh, yeah, we heard that. <laughs> I'm like, okay, apparently yeah, we were not I, the ABC only sources didn't, on this. ABC did not know, apparently. Or, I don't know, in their Friday meeting with Dino Babers, did he ask him not to just Maybe. not to talk about it? But that doesn't help I would Schrader. Tell him that, you know, Schrader. I mean, if Schrader was the MVP of the game, you should you should talk about it. So McElroy can say he played hurt. And if he goes out, he's like, well, he was hurt. That's like that's astonishing to things. me that they yeah. never mention it. And at one point he said, Oh, that's a bad read on the read option. What it wasn't a bad read. He didn't want to run. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> and also, you know. I mean, this fits into like, I don't know what they were doing with Schrader. Like, there was a play earlier in the game where they used him as a lead blocker for a Tucker run. And I'm like, what are you? He could barely move. Like, I didn't like what are you like, doing? Like, was that designed or did he just kind of stick his nose in there? Because I no, thought I saw it, that it he, was designed. Oh, okay. It, it, and just, it made no sense. He finally kept one, I think, in the second quarter. He feebly jo dove to the ground. <laughs> yeah, and he and he immediately dove to the ground. And if you see the interception by Joseph, the half-hearted no attempt by him 
I mean, there was no other than sticking a hand out, <laughs> which I've seen from yeah. Notre Dame safety play at times. Um, <laughs> other than sticking a hand out, he gave no effort. And throughout that entire half, nobody from n- neither Tessator or McElroy said, man, he's playing tentative or I'm surprised that they're not running more read option with him. That's the thing. I mean, it's right away. You realize when he wasn't running the ball, like, well, we were right. He's hurt. Um, the very funny thing, Tim, I don't think it came across in transcripts or in any part of it. I asked Brandon Joseph about his interception, kind of giving him a chance to talk about what he saw, what he did. And he fell just short of being like, bro, <laughs> he goes, he, threw right he looked right me. at me. <laughs> he yeah. goes, the quarterback, he goes, <laughs> stared at me. <laughs> and yeah. that wow. was just like, good yeah. for you. To just you know, and again, I'm not, look, I'm not trying to diminish Nordheim's win because of that, but reality is reality. Their quarterback, who was really good coming into that game had had very, very little to offer. I get him playing. I think Babers and Schrader should have pulled the trigger at the end of the first quarter or after his run been like, what are we doing out here, man? You can't, you can't do half your stuff. Yeah, you it, know? Because that wasn't, and I've been using the word not sustainable. Like that, that wasn't going to be sustainable right. against Notre Dame. And you know, I, I, at that point, and I'm sure Tim, if you could have changed your, prediction yeah. which you could have <laughs> yeah you but would've. i'm not gonna I mean, change when, no uh, i know I like but it. on like game day i know you would have yeah. you would have yes. changed because no without schrader without schrader for four quarters and and again del rio wilson did a nice job late but over the course of four quarters he was yeah, going to get two or three times and cam hart that's why I'm, i won't is cam hart is his shoulder bad again because his tackling is not good and that's a play Maybe. that he should make i mean yeah. it, to me when i see his body language it's like He's not right. He's he's better than that. He makes that play. But no. Last thing I want to mention, and keep me in check here, guys. Will you please? Uh, <laughs> the, Jack, the, get the mute button ready. <laughs> yeah, the, I'm married to an attorney, so we can uh, we can tread carefully the, here. <laughs> you know, I said this in tail of the tape, and if you don't subscribe to Irish Illustrated, you need to because you need to read this. The, I, this is, and now I'm going to give it away anyway, but. Uh, yeah, now they don't subscribe, but it's okay. <laughs> and, and again, the uh, pregame, right? Our instant analysis, we we clearly said, watch out for how this game is called. And so here's Syracuse; it's last in the nation in in penalties per game. Notre Dame is eighth in fewest penalties per game. And again, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't I don't ever talk about. No, you, you had a reason for saying, watch how this. Yeah, because it wasn't a hunch. It was a tip. I was yes. told it was going to be officiated that way. So they're 130th in the country in, in penalties per game. Notre Dame is eighth. Notre Dame gets a penalty call on the kickoff for a face mask that wasn't a face mask. On the second play, the pick six. I can't vouch for this because I didn't see Isaiah Foskey and an unsportsmanlike penalty call. But the first two plays of the game, there are two penalties against Notre Dame. By the end of the first quarter, quarter, Notre Dame has five, which is more than they averaged for the game. Syracuse doesn't draw its first penalty, and we all know how much they held. They They don't draw their first penalty until six minutes to go in the third quarter. Now, does the does the ACC realize that people are watching this and they know they know these numbers and and it's outrageously imbalanced? Man, Syracuse must have really improved their discipline penalty wise. I, I mean, they're they had eighteen in the first game against uh, Louisville. They had twelve, ten, nine, eight twice, seven twice. 
And you knew every time, like when number 85, when he stepped out of bounds ever so slightly, but stepped out of bounds in the end zone and caught the pass, you knew that that call was not, was going to go in Syracuse's favor. It was and funny because the, the, reason- the person next to me was like, he's out of bounds. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't matter. It wasn't going to matter. And uh, I mean, I, I, I just credit for being good at being a replay official. No, I think they're going to, I think they're going to hold us and act like I knew something. There was, all right. I've said enough. I could say more. What is your perspective on that? I think the officials did a poor job. Um, I, there was a Drew Pines rolling to the left where I hit. Colsey, I think it was a 21 yard gain. Yeah. There are that three offensive. Nice, that was a very nice throw, actually. It was a very nice throw, and there are three offensive linemen five yards down the field. Um, that should have been a pretty it's pretty easy to spot Joe Alt on a football field. Yeah. I and would, again, I and would I'm, think. And I'm not saying all the calls were wrong and that Notre yeah. Dame didn't commit penalties. I'm not saying no. That well, that was a call that was wrong. Um yes. right. But uh, you know, I thought because it's interesting because I when Freeman basically went out on the field and was Berating yeah, the linesman. Um, I thought I was going to lead like that was going to be a story of the game. Um, and then Freeman was like, no, actually, I was wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that like, and uh, you can see Freeman actually motion, like, get back. Like the guy's subbing in. I'm assuming he's telling him to get off the field. Um, yeah, Pete, explain the situation, though, that the, why, it was, yeah, why, so, he was I mean, why he was wrong. Notre Dame's trying to go fast. Um, you can go fast and stop the defense from subbing if you don't sub. Notre Dame didn't sub, but they had two guys sort of come onto the field, I believe, that as Freeman told it, as if they were going to come in. And then they got, no, 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 we're, we're going fast. So yeah. that's like, that's a sideline organizational issue for Notre Dame that Freeman wasn't aware of as it was happening. But I just, I think it's interesting, younger coach, finding his voice, how much do you get on officials? How much do you not? Like, you know, Brian Kelly, Dabo Sweeney have a lot more leeway. And frankly, officials are probably a little bit more scared of them um, than, Marcus Freeman, but every national championship level head coach knows how to work the officials. And I think that, you know, Freeman's got to find his own voice with that. Yeah. For the record, I entail the tape said that that was the correct, that they made the correct call there. Uh, and yeah. I was trying, when I evaluated, I tried to say, okay, that one was right. The hold on Morrison up the sideline, that one was right. You know, I, I, I get that, but it's more that there's right and wrong calls. It's that the tip was there and it was a thing. And it actually, right. Right. And, and the, the, the point is that officiating crews in the ACC, I'm not talking about anybody else. I'm talking about in the ACC, they are instructed, not at, not every game, but certain situations, Dino Babers complained after the Clemson right. game. You can imagine how the calls went for Syracuse at Clemson the previous week. Uh, and that, you know, be on the lookout for this because it's going to happen. And so, uh, wow. Can't wait to see the officiating in Notre Dame stadium when Clemson comes to town this weekend, segment two coming up, burning up the boards. This is Mike Brown, former Notre Dame leprechaun here to share the leprechauns game day at Notre Dame an officially licensed children's book that celebrates the magic of a football Saturday at Notre Dame. Follow me on an adventure from Step Off Under the Golden Dome to ND Stadium with this perfect gift for fighting Irish fans. Visit www.lepgameday.com and enter Irish to get your author signed copy today. Go Irish! Here's another Irish tale from Do Dublin at dodublin.ie. Have you ever felt uneasy signing a lease for a house or a car? You'll know a little how Arthur Guinness felt 
when in 1759 he signed a 9,000 year lease for the St. James Gate Brewery in Dublin. He was a shrewd businessman of course because over 250 years later the annual payment remains just £45. Want to find out more? Be sure you do Dublin with Do Dublin Tours. Burning Up the Boards is brought to you by Game Day Your Way. Notre Dame football fans make your trip to South Bend easy this fall with the help of Game Day Your Way. Services include tailgates, transportation, tickets, and more, making Game Day your one-stop shop for Notre Dame football weekend. Learn more at gamedayyourway.com and use promo code IRISHPOD22 to save 10% on your tailgate package. Segment two, burning up the boards. Our first question comes from Irish John M. Why does it seem like everyone, including the Irish Illustrated staff, is less than pleased with a 17-point victory over a ranked opponent on their home turf? Well, to be fair, he's he's really talking about me uh, because I was the one that was negative, Tim. I don't, I didn't see anything that was overly negative on your part, but I, you know, I, I, I think the history of Irish Illustrated and and any involvement in previous employers has always been the same. We're going to give the good and the bad, the bad and the good, the good, the bad. It doesn't matter. We're going to talk about all of it in eight games into the season. Um, I see a defense with the inability to generate turnovers, a, the worst, well, is it the worst turnover defense in the country or, or thereabout the worst, it's still the worst, it's still the worst, the worst red zone defense in the country. They allow explosive plays when you least expect they allow long touchdown drives many times giving up the lead in the second half. Um, the passing game is, is prehistoric. There's limited skill at the wide receiver position. I mean, I, I don't see a lot of improvement in the areas that they needed to improve upon in September. And I, you know, I made the comment about why you can't, you can't say improvement with a running game because it was supposed to be good. That, that was probably, that was a foolish statement. They've improved in the running game, obviously from the, the first three weeks and now they're, they're a dominant running game. So that's improved, but I see a team with a lot of good things and too many bad things eight games into the season. I thought that they played really well on Saturday it, with the exception of the past game, which is a pretty big exception. Um, you know, the quarterback is not one 11th of the offense and sometimes just doing your job isn't enough. Um, you know, that's not how great teams are built, but um, I if they found if they can replicate what they did on Saturday, I'm not saying a pick six and a block punt every week, but well, the block punt's going to happen every week. We yeah, the block punt actually is is very replicable. I guess <laughs> it could, um, it could, it happen, could just happen again every other week. I guess, um, but getting the hand, getting hands on footballs, being in position to make like they weren't even in a position to make turnovers. Like they didn't even miss the opportunities in the first few weeks of the season. Now they've made some and can make even more. So I. I feel like they're getting better. Um, that could come to a very alarming uh, shift on Saturday night, but um, I felt like they got better on Saturday. I think we view Notre Dame's improvement against Syracuse through the lens of their playing Clemson this coming week, and that can sometimes cloud that, that, what's going yeah, on. Yeah, that, that was a big part of it. It's that you've had an opportunity mm-hmm. – to improve in these areas. And now, now it's Clemson. Now you don't have any more opportunities to winter improve. is coming. As yeah, I said, I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. I, I'm sorry. I interrupted Tim. Go ahead. No winter is coming. You're right. There is a, uh, there's an issue with drew pine in the passing game. 
it's not that the passing game hasn't improved. It's the passing game is worse than it was in early October. Yeah, when it, but then it was good. Like yeah, it the was, way yeah. Drew Pine played North Carolina and BYU was good. And you um, knew he his, couldn't have the North Carolina defenses again, but he just plays everybody. If he played these last three games like he played BYU, they would have beaten Stanford by 13 points. His He's passer like, rating in those two games combined would rank fifth nationally if he did it every game of the season. His passer rating in the last three games, if he did it every game, wouldn't be in the top 100. Right. So there's got to be some middle ground there. Um, it can't be like, it's just all over the place. And I, I just wonder the, you know, for how much Drew Pine talks about, I like to be co- coach hard, yada, yada. I just, I don't buy that at all. Um, I just, the, the connection between him and Tommy Reese right now, I just doesn't seem like they're seeing the game the same way. Yeah, there has, there's, as far as Pine, there has been no middle ground. He was really good against North Carolina and BYU, and he's been really bad in the other three games. I do want to ask you, though, Pete, I mean, you you thought they played, so the red zone defense Saturday, was that was okay? No, it was bad. Well, you just said but that. The defense than, overall was good. <laughs> that's a big part of the, the defense. They It is, but if you score on defense and then get another pick and almost get another pick, um, that's and, and have they, they played winning defense on Saturday and the yeah. 17 in the 17 points in the second half against a backup quarterback that's thrown five passes that, yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't ideal, but I think, yeah, I mean, Notre Dame is not Notre Dame's defense is not the 85 bears. Like I, I just like, I would grade them on a curve for the whole game and say like, that was a winning performance. Fair enough. Question from Irish. I was. I wish I was tailgating. What is Brian Mason doing differently to block so many punts? Scheme, exploiting specific weaknesses, playing frontline players, culture, anything else? I mean, culture and frontline players are something we can answer easily. Uh, The culture has been there since August that we know of, probably well before that. But when Bo Bauer says, I don't care if I start, I want to play on every special teams this year. And when he has Braden Lindsay and Lorenzo Styles never getting the ball, one of them drops it if he tries to get it. But if he has those two never getting the ball and they sprint down and cover every single John Sott punt except for one so far this year, they have, those two have starting wide receivers that have been awesome as gunners. You don't see a lot of starting wide receivers at Notre Dame as gunners. Um, the buy-in is there. And as Marcus Freeman said post-game, how could the buy-in not be there now? I mean, they're probably lining up to get their next block punt. It's like, can I play Clarence Lewis's position? position this game well work on it in practice i mean you watch how bad somebody wants to get a free touchdown right now on a block punt <laughs> this is and brian kelly used to talk about it brian kelly had some good special teams and he had some horrendous special teams he rarely had middle ground special teams it always came down to did his veterans lead the way and buy in and yeah. these guys do and obviously there's some scheme involved too because brian mason blocking five punts and almost blocking four or five more is really shocking development that's, I mean, you have Isaiah Foskey lined up over the long snapper. That's like a really long, unique looking athlete who can just sort of go, go gadget arm his way into some block punts. So it's, he's got good personnel. He's a really sharp, smart coach. Um, it was interesting talking to him last week about block punt because he was like, I went up to talk to him. I was the only one there at the, at the early part. He's like, you'd hold on a second. He was like tactics and players about, watching some film later about punt blocks. And so I just think like, it's a thing. Yeah. For the program now. It and should like, be. You'd be dying to score. Hang, <laughs> hang on to that thing. Cause like that doesn't last forever, but right now they're just like, people really want to be a part of it. And that's, that's a healthy sort of mindset for everybody. 
now uh, Notre Dame is now tied for first in the country in block punts with with five with South Carolina and Central Michigan. I, I wrote and tell the tape. I I, I I cited three things. One, the the aggressive nature that that Mason brought in, which is what which is culture, which is yeah. what was yeah. mentioned. The preparation for the opponent. You know, I, I was I was fascinated by the fact that Notre Dame did the exact same thing last week against UNLV to block the punt and UNLV reacted the exact same way both times, which is why Isaiah Foskey came through and, and, and blocked both punts. And then the third thing is, I think, I think he uses multiple approaches. And the thing that leads me to that conclusion is that Clarence Lewis just blocked a punt and nobody laid a finger on him, Yeah, you know? So mm-hmm. uh, the guy's got it going on and it's a, it's certainly a way to, um, you know, compensate for some of the offensive shortcomings. And as, as you guys said, I mean, it's this kind of stuff generates enthusiasm within a team and and they got it going on. And Brian Mason said last week, I am lucky Marcus Freeman not only allows, but agrees that I should use top line players on special teams. And he said, we cannot take J oh, this is going to make people mad. We can't take JD Bertrand off the field that often on defense. So he's only allowed to play one of our special teams. And that's, you know, one of the, co- the, the punt coverage unit where they want him out there. <laughs> Throw that in there. Dallas Irish 83. How collaborative is the weekly game plan among the offensive coaches? I, I can't answer that, but I can answer what it was with the previous regime between Brian Kelly and Tommy Reese. And it was, I mean, it was, it was great. It was a great situation. It's a former player coordinating the offense for his head coach. And that was extremely collaborative. And that that's why I always fought back when people said that, uh, that, that Brian Kelly was, you know, has thumb down on Tommy Reese and play calling. I never believed that to be true because it was such a collaborative effort during the week that they were on the same page going into the game. Now, I mean, who's his sounding board? Is it, I, it's probably it's Jared Parker who has previous coordinating experience, but the relationship you had between Kelly and Reese when it come to when it came to offensive decision making and playmaking was tremendous because if you you know the whole history of their relationship. Yeah, I, I certainly he stand as a good sounding board too, at least in the run game, right? Or like, hey, these are this is how I would block this pressure if this is what came on. But um, I, I, I don't want to make too much of John McNulty leaving because I think Jared Parker's a good coach, but I think McNulty was probably an even better sounding board than he stand for Reese based on they'd worked together in the past, and I just think. McNulty has a really good way about him um, that Reese respected and McNulty respected right back. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Pete. I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, and even and of course, Parker, not that this matters anymore as much as the season went on, but Parker was the newest to the staff too. Like that, you know, that was, that was a very new addition. Um, he, he mentioned Parker mentioned Reese mentioned he spent all of the off season trying to come up to speed with thing with things like that, because deal and McCall doesn't have to come up to speed with everything in the offense like Parker does that that was part of it. If you're going to be a sounding board. So question Tommy, from Tommy, oh, go, go ahead, Tommy Tim. Clydesdale question. What are the odds Norton gets a quarterback through the transfer portal this off season? Tommy Clydesdale says I would give it a 100% <laughs> chance. Uh, it needs to be, it needs to be hundred percent chance. I just, I don't, I don't see how they can move forward without that uh, regardless of what the staff looks like. 
who's back, who's not. Like they need to have a veteran quarterback on the roster next year. They could have had him. They could have had a veteran quarterback. They could have had a non-veteran quarterback. They could have had talent on the roster and they didn't bring it in for reasons we believe. They could have had uh, an offensive analyst with coordinating experience. Yes. We have a another question on this later. We'll go through the quarterback problems, but I believe that if they don't bring in a quarterback in the offseason that is not a freshman, I will be 100% disgusted with the decision because that is ridiculous. You have to bring in someone to challenge Tyler Buckner next year, even though you were afraid to challenge Tyler Buckner this year. Absolutely. Any Davis too. Every week we see Tommy Reese running the gamut of emotions up in the booth. Could it be beneficial in any way for him to call the game from the sidelines? I have never been able to answer this because I do not know what coach is like. Like every time the same emotions to, there. Yeah, it, it may be worse. Every time you talk to a coach, they tell you where they want to call it. And you're always, it's always interesting. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, really? Okay. It could be either way. It could be either side. And it's always what they want to see. Like, I don't think it would be beneficial if he doesn't think well, it helps him down there. I'm yeah, sure I mean, I think he, I think he, he would, I think he would do that if he felt it was beneficial or if he had a comfort zone doing it. And I think that there's some, there's something to be said for communication with Pine face to face, but I think it's. I wouldn't want to communicate with him face to face. Yeah, is, I mean, I think he'd be just as upset with him as he as he is. Is the scan possible from the field level? It would have to be communicated down, right? Like, right. And so that he, so he would have to have the trust that that information is, I, I mean, I, I, the answer to the question is probably yes, but it, it, it always comes down to the comfort zone of the, the coordinator and, and you have to play to the comfort zone of your coordinator or do, go a different route. Do we have a podcast listener right now, not making the joke of, well, if we can get rid of the scan, let's bring Tommy Reese down to the sideline because I think that's what everybody thought when I mentioned that. Uh, it's still he still wouldn't be able to decipher the coverage, and and that would, I I, I mean again, I think he would be down there if he felt more comfortable down there. Right. See Frazier, what happened to the passing game with regard to the running backs? It seemed like a point of emphasis early in the season that has fallen off the radar. Well, when when a when a defense drops eight and your running back is available to you to throw the football to, you can do that, or you can force it down the field like Drew Pine did this past Saturday. Yeah. I went to was, ask. Go ahead, Pete. Yeah, I mean, it's like on the first drop eight of the game, he threw that swing to Tyree for 10 yards. Um, and then I just he just was not seeing the running backs leak out. And I'm not saying the running backs always did a great job of making themselves available, but it's just, it's just like this black – hole um, he knows he's there he knows he's there right, right? I, I don't i think so <laughs> i mean he knows the design of the play he knows he has a check down to the running back and, and we're not completely answering the question because i do think that i you know i don't there has to be some stuff with the running backs uh against clemson you know, I think we a lot of it. We a lot of what happened with the running backs in the passing game was against North Carolina, and that, with or without my favorite defensive coordinator, was a hodgepodge uh, when Nording was playing them. Now they're still undefeated, and so I think Gene Chizik has has made some strides with that defense since the Nording game. But um, you know, I, I think that's always in there. A lot of it, though, is just what I said that the. The stuff that you get to the running backs in the passing game, a lot of times it has to be the quarterback that makes that decision on the fly. Well, Tyree has dropped a couple. 
you know, in the last yeah, month, yeah, right? Like, I mean, if, and that one of them could have hit for a huge gain. I can't remember yeah. what game it was, but. And Pine um, just missed Styles. Says, I, I asked this question today about the screen game. I'm going to have to ask Coach Reese about the screen game because I didn't really <laughs> yeah, get the answer did. I want. I didn't get the answer I wanted today. Um, and it's better to ask Reese anyway for this one. But, he, you know, he mentioned <laughs> Styles got to catch that, except it was a really bad pass. It's That's on Drew Pine. Oh. I think there's just. There's a lot of inefficiencies in the screen game, and that's why they average four yards per attempt in the screen game. Ooh, four yards per four point three. If we want to, that's give, not good. If we want to give some that's, credit where credit is due, that's at, yeah. I mean, a lot of times, like, why don't they go back to it? Well, if it's an unsuccessful play, they're less yeah. inclined to go back to it. I actually said, and this is going to make ND football stats and analytics just as mad as it did the people next to me when they threw that screen to Styles, and it was third. It was third and ten, right, Pete? Third and ten, third and nine. Third and eight. It was third and eight, and I said out loud, "They should run the ball here." Guys next to me looked at me like I was had three heads, and I go, "He's like, you can't do that." I go, "You don't have a quarterback that can complete a screen pass." And then the ball bounced, and I just turned and said, "All hail Zod!" And then it was over. But there was no, uh, I, I, and I get it. No, you shouldn't run the ball on third and eight usually. But if you can't complete the passes, you could consider running the ball and make it fourth and three. That was set up so well. I know, I know, but it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter how good the call is when it doesn't go no, well normally. It really doesn't. It really <laughs> doesn't matter. But man, that was set up well. It was beautiful. Yes. Question from Go Irish 82. Been a Notre Dame fan since the 1960s. If social media ex- existed back then, what quarterbacks would have been bashed like Drew Pine is this year? Uh, I, everyone... I, go, I want you guys to start because I can go way back. And I, and I got one. <laughs> Right on the tip of my tongue that most people won't remember, but I mean, all of them except for Montana 78, 77, 78, <laughs> uh, Quinn in 05 and 06, Clausen in 09, and Kaiser in 15. <laughs> That's my list of successful, unimpeachable quarterbacks at Notre Dame right now. Maybe Ian Book in 18. Yeah. He's like uh, uh, Jamie Go O'Hara. Yeah, Jamie nice. O'Hara. He stunk. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't any good. Uh, you got anybody, Pete? You want? Or, no, yeah, Jamie O'Hara is my answer. Okay, that is your answer. Um, when I was a mid-teenager, and and I think I thought I knew more about football then than I think I know. Yes, I might. I, I think I, I did too. I think I was more. Yeah, I was more obnoxious than, than I am now, and that's not. That's hard to do. Uh, following. Um, Following, uh, where is he? I'm looking for him. Following Tom Clements was Rick Slager. It, it, Tim, you, you've probably heard that name. I've heard Pete, the name. I've heard the per, name, yeah. Pete, perhaps not, but um, I can remember throwing things in the house when Rick Slager was a quarterback. <laughs> Rusty Lish, who ended up playing in the NFL for a while. Uh, Blair Keel was good. Burline was uh, on a poorly coached football team. Kevin McDougall was a starter for one year, and everybody loved Nobody him. Nobody threw anything was, at the TV. Yeah, no, not Kevin at all. McDougall played quarterback, guys. And all. Probably Lavecchio and Holiday. And, I mean, don't you yeah. think Ron Paulus would have like, caught a male? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, media. yeah, yeah. Tommy Reese, it goes without saying he would have. Yes. Yeah. Everybody. I'm telling you, man. The quarterbacks get blamed for a lot of stuff. In this case, sometimes. Yeah. All right, from Statman72, ND beats UNLV by 23, ranks Syracuse by 17, and most of us seem dissatisfied. If the team had escaped Marshall and Stanford, would our perception of the last two games be more positive? Would we be saying this gritty Irish team somehow keeps finding ways to overcome its shortcomings and just keeps winning? 
Well, we've talked about this. I mean, they'd be in the top five or six in the country. They'd be seven and one. They would have snuck out victories against Marshall and Stanford and the whole nation would be saying they are the worst seven and one team in the country, but they would be seven and one. They'd be seven and one great and they'd still be. have a shot at the playoffs, especially with two of the four games coming up. They'd have a, they'd have more than a shot at the playoffs. Yeah, they'd no, they'd yeah. They'd have an excellent. Out, yeah. yeah. They, they would control their own destiny at that point. Good point. Statman 72, but doesn't change the team, but a hundred percent. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. And yes, without qualification. LPN. Yeah. Be more, this club's going to be huge right now. <laughs> I do too. I'd, 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 I'd rather be, uh, I, but you know, I mean, I think it's a great question because would I interpret the Syracuse game the same way if they were in that situation? I'd like to think that I would, because we report the good and the bad, the bad and the good, the good, the good, the bad, bad, good, bad. I firmly believe, I know Marshall happened first. I firmly believe Notre Dame is in this outside looking in of the top 25, totally out of consciousness of people because of the Stanford loss. They would be six in a row after starting 0-2, and it would look different. <laughs> There's no yeah, doubt about that. They'd be at the bottom of – they'd be at the, the last five of the top 25. In other words, more so than the Marshall one even. Like, I'm saying the Stanford one, where it happened, how it happened, yes. home, everybody watching it. You know? One and four, Stanford playing horrible football coming into the game. Uh, question from LPN71. In viewing the overall season, are we not giving enough – Attention to the fact that Notre Dame lost its starting quarterback and is playing a backup that we all knew had serious limitations. If coming into the season, we were thinking 10 and two or nine and three, isn't having to play a backup for almost the entire season going to cost one or two wins? That, of course, leaves aside the whole issue of why we don't have a more capable backup QB. Yes. Uh, removing the last sentence for his admission there. Um, they are one loss right now with the backup and they are 0 and two at the starter is my fastest possible answer to this. Well, they're owing to with their starter. It's relevant that they're owing to with their yeah, starter. But right? I, I don't, I mean, you, you began the season with two backups. I know Buckner won, yes. quote, won the job, but the two quarterbacks were like, from a production standpoint, were pretty indistinguishable. I, I don't, I don't, I mean, I well, don't, I, no, I, I mean, like, I it's not the so. same. I don't think so. Cause Buckner's running ability is production. That makes sense. Okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I mean, I thought, I thought after North Carolina BYU that I, I did, I did not picture that Pine would throw the football like this over the next three games. Not, not these three games. You figured it could happen right. against Clemson. Exactly. And that, and right. And that's, that's what's so unsettling. You know, we were always like the, the previous five years were always talking about, well, you're not going to win a national title with this and that and this and that, but yeah, you're going to win all your other games with Ian book. You know, I mean, well, I, yes, yeah. yes. And Jack, I, I just, and Jack Cohn and Jack Cohn and Jack Cohn. I don't, I don't, I mean, yeah, Buckner had the running aspect, but he yeah, was, a he was, they're both first time starters. They, I, we can't put it all on there. There was, all right. There's two different things here that I want to clarify. They're and two at the starter. So we can't say this is all because they've had their backup. That was my only point to say that they were and two with their starting quarterback. Right. Um, the other point was somebody was getting on a lot of people. I think we're getting on Priester for saying, you're qualifying this because Garrett Schrader didn't play. Garrett Schrader didn't play. What about the fact Notre Dame did another starting quarterback? Okay, wait, wait, time. Very true. However, did anybody studying the game last week 
think of Notre Dame playing with their starting quarterback, Tyler Buckner. They did not, and neither did anybody else have to prepare for any of that. Buckner was never going to play. Schrader was their quarterback that has not had his backup in yet. There is a huge difference, a huge difference when you're looking at a game and saying, Tyler Buckner hasn't been there. Right. We're using Schrader, our backup. Schrader was playing brilliant football coming into the Notre Dame game. So there's a there's a big difference there. Factor 37, the Notre Dame quarterback room is what it is at this point. But can you walk through the misses slash decisions which have led us to the point where Pine is the starter? There's so much. Yeah, There's I so want much. I want you guys to let me I'll go quickly on the, the, the decision. I'll go quickly on just what happened. I mean, you lost your senior year quarterback, right? In Phil Dracovic. He was certainly your senior year quarterback. He could have been your junior quarterback last year. You never would have gotten the uh the transfer. Um that is the main thing because Phil Dracovic would be your second year starter. Tyler Buckner would be his backup. Drew Pine would be ready to transfer after graduating. Um, Brendan Clark isn't part of it because Brendan Clark would not have beaten out those guys. I mean, Brendan Clark might be better than Drew Pine for all I know, but Brendan Clark's doesn't change our Clemson game, right? Nothing Likely. to do with that. So I think Dracovic's transfer <laughs> is number one. Number two would be the lack of quarterback brought in this year with a high number two, but it can't be more than number one. Cause if Phil Dracovic would have stuck it out, he'd be fine at Notre. He'd be a good player for Notre Dame. I think he would be. I think that's psyche wise. Yeah. Now, I'm not watching BC every week. I will in I'll watch their games in two weeks from now. So I don't know exactly what he's going through, but I do know that their offensive line's a disaster. And so that has contributed. He got benched last week, right? Did that? He got hurt that at least. Yeah. I think he got hurt maybe. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Um, so my, my number one for me is that Phil Dracovic was supposed to be the starter. That's barely number one, though, because when he's not your starter for the last three years, you should be getting graduate transfer and transfer quarterbacks the whole time, just like Jack Cohn. Right. It is, right. It is absolutely irresponsible. They do not have a better quarterback in here than a never played before Tyler Buckner and a or rarely played Tyler Buckner and rarely played Drew Pine. Yeah. Pete. Uh, I, yeah, I agree with that. I think sort of a sub. How did you get here is few years ago they decided that they wanted to take Tyler Buckner instead of JJ McCarthy um you know and the reasons behind that made sense because Buckner was much more ready to go physically McCarthy was very underweight I mean you can sort of see that the way he's built now it's still like <laughs> very long and lean but you know his season so far long. at Michigan they've they've built around him in a really nice way and he's 14th in the country in passer efficiency so I, I mean, you got to look at him and see like, well, maybe, maybe they went with the wrong guy. I don't know. Um, Buckner is, we, Buckner's evaluation is so incomplete right now. It's not even really fair to say it. Right. Um, but that's, that's in the very long winding road of how Notre Dame got here at quarterback. That is at least one intersection that they drove through. And another part is you cannot be afraid to challenge your quarterback room in the off season, a non-proven quarterback room. I would imagine they've learned that lesson after this year. Question from D. Shepper. Beating Clemson with the Syracuse recipe of run, run, run is not realistic. How does the coaching staff realistically coax better play from the quarterbacks and receivers? This was my point about you've run out of all opportunities to coax better quarterback play and wide receiver play. Now you're facing Clemson. And hey, Deion Colsey. Deion Colsey, I'm glad game. you mentioned that. He did. did some good stuff. Hey, they needed a wide receiver to step up, and he did it. He made a he made a great he came across the formation for the 20 
one yard grab on the great pass that you referred to, uh, by Pete, by, yeah. uh, by pine. I also thought his 37 yarder to, to, uh, I was going to say McAfee his 37 yarder to mayor <laughs> set up the score yes. right before halftime, which I, that literally going to say mind. Mac, right. You weren't yeah. going to say Mac ever. That, <laughs> that literally came to mind when I was about to say that, but that, that was key because it set up the score before halftime and, and that was huge, but Deion Colsey came up big. I mean, a great diving grab on third and six that led to the touchdown to go up 31, 17, uh, great for him because he hasn't gotten a whole lot of positive, uh, publicity lately. Go ahead, Pete. I do have an answer. I was going to say a receiver with a catch radius, like you can't have too many of those. Uh, and Colsey has it. Merriweather has it. Like, I like the shot that they took to Merriweather, even though it was incomplete. Um, you know, those are, those are the kind of passes I'd like to see Drew Pine not try 10 times a game, but four or five times a game. I agree. I think Deion Colsey for this week, Deion Colsey repeats his, his game effort. Um, a shot to Tobias Merriweather hits, which helps things during the game later during the game gets Tobias Merriweather into the game as well. You might be able to get something else to Merriweather if a 45 yard post hits to Merriweather, right? He can all of a sudden mm-hmm. be involved in a 13 yard comeback. Um, Lorenzo Styles has to play football. Strap five balls. I mean, come on, let's catch some of these passes for Brett for Drew Pine. This Drew Pine is playing worse than the receivers, but they got to help him. It's true. And then Braden Lindsay probably has to be hit once somewhere, right? One time if he's open, one time. I I, I mentioned it tell the tape, man. Not that either one of them are accomplished receivers or have done anything yet, but it sure is good to see. Colsey and Merriweather lining up on the field at the same time. Did you hear the package name? It's my new favorite uh, package name. You know how we call everything with football jargon? 21, 13, 12, 11, all that. That's called tall. <laughs> Tall's good. They need they tall. They kept it simple on that one. Yeah, the as you point out, Pete, the catch radius is is hugely significant in, a, in the passing game. Hugely significant. Question from Billy Villanova. Give us a quick scouting report on Clemson. I got a got a sneak preview. I went to uh, Anna Hickey for our scouting report for this one. Funniest part was that uh, if you ask Clemson fans, they don't believe the run defense is good enough for what it should be, which is <laughs> and Jeez. the re- and the reason for that is the super talented, much more talented than last year's linebackers are not playing as cleanly as were. They're slower-footed starters uh-huh. <laughs> in Skalski Inspector, and the five stars and high four stars are not playing quite as clean football, cleaning up those run fits. So anyway, they think they can be run on. Uh, however, that was with twice with a quarterback that keeps the ball in Garrett Schrader and Jordan Travis. So that was been right. part of it. And <laughs> I, I wanted to save this since we talked about screens earlier. Earlier in the season, and this has to do, I'm sure, with the young inexperienced but faster linebackers they were screened to absolute death can that still happen eight games in after a bye week and preparing for Notre Dame's three running backs and non-downfield passing attack I don't know but you have to try right yeah no doubt about it wow uh it it, wouldn't it be great to have a run defense along less than three yards of carry and everybody was upset about it because your your four and five star linebackers were not teams are rushing for 87 yards per game against you Boy, Clemson's got it really, really tough there. You know, they've only – I find this interesting because we all, Will Shipley's a good running back. I mean, obviously, Notre Dame fans wish he was in a Notre Dame uniform, and he's, 
he's put up good numbers. What where's his uh I don't have them uh yeah, it's th- through 739 yards, six yeah, yards of carry. Yeah, 10, 10, 10 rushing touchdowns. Oh, there he is, yeah, good. six yards of carry. Uh, but as a whole, they don't they've only I mean, I guess maybe they obviously they throw the ball a little bit more than Notre Dame does, but they've only they've only cracked the 200 yard rushing mark twice. One was against Syracuse at 291. The other was Louisiana Tech. They didn't rush for they didn't rush for two. They had 100. They had 147 yards rushing against Furman. So they're not. I mean, <laughs> and it's not like Uyangalale is getting sacked a lot. He's only been sacked 12 times. So I'm not. I'm not really sure. I, I guess they're probably just throwing the football a lot more uh, than Notre Dame is, is um, you know, whereas Notre Dame's rushing it. But, uh, you know, not a huge sack team. Uh, they do have people, uh, Bull Collins, their wide receiver, 18.1 yards per reception and five touchdowns. Uh, Antonio Williams is more of a, a smaller guy with a couple touchdowns and about 13 yards per carry. Their kicker who the only other guy that's been at their school longer than Andre Schmidt from Syracuse is BT Potter at, at Clemson. BT oh Potter's still there. He, he drained that wow. one in 2018 too. Yeah. He's still yeah. there. He's 15 for 17 this year on field goals. And I, I, you know, I, I haven't fully dipped into watching Clemson defense, but I, you mean Trenton Thompson is not doing a good job at linebacker for them. Just, no, they're doing a fine job. Apparently, there's a lot of complaints about these guys running around and missing their fits. Okay, yeah. Yeah, because I, I love – every time I watch Clemson, I'm not saying I watch, like, a ton of it, but, like, Trenton Simpson looks like a stud to me. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, I love what I've Well, what I'm just trying thing. to put in perspective the, the constant complaining of – Right. Some, you know, I mean, going to always be right. It's worth that. noting, like, you know, the 12 sacks, as Priester noted, if you if you took those out, Uengale is still averaging about eight, nine rushing attempts per game. So that's sort of, it's not quite what Schrader was when healthy, which we talked about last week, but I don't feel like Notre Dame has run into a whole lot of quarterback mobility short of um, Drake May on that first drive. So it's part of, you know, like, you have to factor that in if you're putting together your defensive game plan that, you know, the quarterback is a willing, able, and huge runner. Yeah. Miles Murphy, five and a half sacks. I think I mentioned in segment one, they're scoring of 37 points a game so we'll get more uh on wednesday i'll have a a uh a, a film room breakdown of them and then of course uh you know by friday we'll have all that information out there for everybody but uh, we're going to wrap up with a question from nd irish colorado i assume co uh much depends on what happens with lots of other teams but if Notre Dame wins out does the committee even look at them for a new year's six game well yeah because that's uh if you just do the math, if they win out, they're number fifteen, right? Yeah. Sure. Which well, you beat you beat two wouldn't... top, you beat yeah. two top ten teams in November. In November, yeah, yeah. I, so I think and Louis and one of your losses is to the playoff team. Right. They would not get in the playoffs. No, no, we, no. We the New Year six. Oh. At nine and three, like I remember going through and like how many three lost teams had made New Year six bowls. Oh yeah. Almost none. I, I don't know. I don't think I found one. Um, and this year, the New Year's Six setup is weird in terms of the bowl alignments as it relates to the playoffs. So it's like the the spots are a bit limited. Um, so no, I, I would say that like at this point, whether Notre Dame is seven and five or eight and four or nine and three might put them in a different secondary bowl. 
but the New York Six is not a re- not a realistic place for Notre Dame to be. Yeah. Hey, since and I since we have you here, P, you're you're and I might be putting you on a spot here a little bit, but I mean you're usually up on where Notre Dame where their bowl opportunities are when it's a non-playoff. What do, what do you what do you see so far? Uh, I mean, you see uh, some holiday bowl stuff, which is a new ACC bowl this year. Yeah, the you bowl, do. That's right. Bowl didn't even get you vote, played you last vote for year. That so one, I'm voting for that one right there. File that away. Um, you know, and that's a, a Pac-12 opponent, so you could get Notre Dame, Utah. You could get UCLA. Notre Dame, UCLA. Um, you know, I, I think there's an attractive matchup also for that bowl. If you want an ACC fan base to travel, good luck to you. Um, Notre Dame's fan base is sort of already out there, so. I think that would be probably a priority, you know, and then you still have the cheese at bowl is now the camping world or the former camping world bowl. That's still in play. Um, you know, and then the Belk bowl, I, th- I think things would probably have to go sideways. Like, at this like point. how does this relate to, I mean, nine and three is probably pretty unrealistic. So like say eight and four, I actually, as I sit here right now, I, I think I kind of feel better about Notre Dame and playing against USC's defense for sure than Clemson, you know, than, no than playing it. against Clemson's defense. So, so let's say eight and four, seven and five. It's certainly at this point, it should be at worst seven and five. Yeah, that's where you get into sort of the, the ACC one game rule. Um, and that's where yeah, like there's so much one. to still play out. Like if you're within, if Notre Dame finishes eight and four they can take the bowl spot of an ACC team that went nine and three. That's what I mean by the one game rule. But if they're okay. seven and five and there are a bunch of ACC teams at nine and three, then that, that does not apply. Notre Dame would have to go after those teams. So if Notre Dame's eight and four, they're in a good shot to sort of like not pick the bowl that they want to go to, but kind of make it known, Hey, this is where we would like to end up. Um, and if you look at the ACC standings, as I am right now, there's some team there's, Six and two North NC State, six and two Wake, six and two Syracuse. Everybody else is already at three losses. Um, you know, you got North Carolina and Clemson. If Clemson makes the playoff, North Carolina goes to the Orange Bowl. That would be Notre Dame's best case scenario because then that opens up the number of ACC bids that have to get filled. Uh, Pete, to- could, you, could you guys break down the difference between the coastal and the Atlantic in the ACC, please? Because that's always been uh, full. You got to do it now because it's going away tradition. after this year. Yeah. Rich tradition, uh, the coastal and the Atlantic. Legends, Legends and leaders, and leaders man. Good. All right, we're going to be back on, well, actually, uh, Irish Illustrated Insider will be back on Wednesday. Tom Loy from 24-7 Sports and I will talk. Uh, it'll be a big recruiting weekend for Notre Dame, so we'll be talking about that. And the trio that you're listening to here today will be back on Thursday, November 3rd, when we delve fully into undefeated number five ranked Clemson at Notre Dame Stadium. Thanks for joining us.